Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hey, a number of things we're going to be talking about on today's program, I, I've spotlighted and featured, including some visuals. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 um, a number of those things. And, for example, the first topic that we're going to be opening up, opening up the phones on in just a couple minutes is one of those. It goes back to a, it's a controversy which is erupting in a very, very Tony Washington suburb involving – well, a, a five-year-old boy and a wooden flag that he donated to police. And if you want to see a photograph of that and what's causing all the controversy and, and what has the county executive in Montgomery County, Maryland, what has him in such a twist? Well, again, if you follow me at Wagner620 um, on Twitter, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll show you a picture. I'll describe it in just a couple minutes. But a number of the other things we're going to be talking about as well, including a link to a masterful editorial in today's Wall Street Journal talking about Elizabeth Warren's fantasy plan to finance Medicare for All, which will probably bankrupt this, com- this country and lead to increased costs for medical care. Plus, at the same time, you will lose your doctor in all likelihood. You will lose your hospital, that and a lot more. So a lot of stuff up on our Twitter account today, including also a link to this Washington Post story. You want to talk about bad timing. All right. We all know this horrible story a couple weeks ago involving a guy whose name is Daytuan Robinson. 19-year-old kid without, by the way, a driver's license. He is allegedly, allegedly, the person that driving at an excessively high rate of speed blows through the intersection, hits three kids who are in the intersection, killing the six-year-old and the four-year-old and severely injuring a 10-year-old, and then drives off. In addition to driving off, he then apparently embarked on this, this lengthy effort to try to cover up the, the crime, including trying to – but the bumper of his car apparently came off. That's what the criminal complaint says. He hit these kids so hard. He drives off. So then he, he's trying to – apparently he hid the car, tried to spray paint the car to kind of cover this up. Did not come forward. Thankfully, some witnesses saw this, and the police were able to get a search warrant and go and obtain evidence. But but this, this guy's a real piece of garbage. There's just no other way to describe this. Anybody who does what this person did, just, again, if, if in fact he is convicted of this, he deserves every day. Well, in an interesting twist of fate, the same day that Detuan Robinson blew through this red light and allegedly killed these two people, these two kids. He was, together with family members, featured in a huge story in the Washington Post talking about his activism in the community and how he's going door to door trying to, you know, register voters in the inner city of Milwaukee. Now, the the irony of this 
is just incredible that the same day you're featured in this Washington Post story about how you are trying to empower your community is the same day that you blow through a red light, hit and kill two members of that community, two children, and then apparently, if the criminal complaint is accurate, describe it when you are confronted by somebody as a rookie mistake. Irony does not begin to describe that. But if you want to see the story, including a picture of him um, featured in the Washington Post the same day that this incident happened, again, you, I've got a link to that. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 on Twitter. I, I haven't been able to see any follow-up in the Washington Post on this, which is, I think, interesting as well. All right, so follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 Interesting weekend, as I was saying to uh, Steve and to Carol, that this is going to be pretty much a Packers-free zone. It was just tough game yesterday. We are not going to gnash our teeth. We're not going to dwell on it for the next three hours. Bottom line is that there's one of two conclusions. One is that they, they just they, they had a clunker, and NFL teams, NBA teams, high school teams, Major League Baseball teams, and most of us. Every once in a while, you come in and, and you just you show up for work that day and you just have a complete and total clunker. And, and sometimes, like I always say, sometimes you eat the bear and sometimes the bear eats you and some days you're bear chow. There's just no question about it. Yesterday, the Packers were bear chow. Now, I don't know why that was. Maybe it was just one of those days. I, I thought Aaron Rodgers' comments after the game were kind of interesting where he implied that they should have gone out Saturday, not Friday, because the implication was that some of his teammates enjoyed the L.A. lifestyle maybe a little bit too much, and maybe that contributed to them not playing well. Don't know if that's the case or not, but, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding. You're going to have days like that, I think, even for the best teams. And now moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see what, were the Packers, who are now 7-2, and a great record, were were they lucky in several of those games that they could have perhaps lost, but they won? Are they a mediocre team that got every break imaginable in winning those seven games? Um, are they a bad team um, who's really closer to 2-7 and seven than 7-2, seven and two, but things have gone the right way? Or, again, was just, just an aberration? We won't know, but that's part of the fun of watching sports. Personally, a very, very busy but a great weekend. Special thank you to the hundreds of you who showed up um, out in the city of Waukesha for the city's 8th annual Operation Honor, which is a tribute to veterans. We, we did it in downtown Waukesha. The mayor was there, Major General Donald Dunbar, who's in charge of the Wisconsin National Guard. He was the keynote speaker, had a great time, got to meet lots and lots of listeners and it's a wonderful event, so thanks to the city of Waukesha for putting it on, and thanks uh, for including me. Enjoyed that Saturday night for culture fans. I was at a, uh, I was at a fundraiser for the Florentine Opera. Now I, it's, I, I just, I, I'm trying to learn to like opera. I, I am, and it, and it's, and I mean, I mean, I really, and by that I mean, I really appreciate how talented these people are that that do this. It's just. It's and I, I mean I sit back and I think man these people can really sing and that's great but you know most of them are Ital- in Italian and stuff and I, I'm I'm trying to because I appreciate how hard this is to do and I appreciate the art form I, I'm trying I'm really trying to become a super fan as it is right now I appreciate the talent but had a great time at the Florentine Opera yesterday okay yesterday my brother and my nephew and my wife and I we went out and we played Pebble Beach Golf Course. 
How could you play Pebble Beach Golf Course without leaving town? Well, we went out to this this place that's these golf simulators out in uh, Germantown. Had a great time. Two nice young men who've started the business, and we know their parents, and we know their grandparents, and just had a great time. Played Pebble Beach, you know, played three hours at Pebble Beach, and it was just a lot of fun. And then came back and hosted our own little Packer party at the house, and that one that kind of ended the weekend on a, on a kind of a down note, but. Doesn't matter. A lot of fun. But thanks to everybody who I've had a chance to run into over the course of the weekend. And as you heard the promos, one more thing in the way of housekeeping. Tomorrow morning, 930, I'm going to be down at Pottawatomie Hotel Bingo and Casino. If you're a regular bingo player, stop off and say hello because I'm going to be one of those celebrity bingo callers. We're, we're doing it for their you know, Heart of Canal Street big charity fundraiser. And I promise I'm trying extremely hard to make sure I stick to the script. No off-the-cuff remarks. Don't screw up calling the letters because, well, if you do, letters and numbers, 055, if you don't articulate, well, the, the crowd gets the crowd gets upset. So there's a lot of pressure. I'm going to be getting to bed early tonight just to make sure that I'm ready to go. When we come back, when we come back, a controversy involving a flag. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. This is what upsets some people. Last week, October 28th, was National First Responders Day, and it's designed to recognize men and women who make it their business to take immediate action when disaster strikes. So, I mean, think about firefighters, think about paramedics, think about police officers, you know, the folks that run one way when everybody is running the other way. All right, well, here is the controversy. Montgomery County, Maryland, is a very, very tony wealthy suburb of Washington, D.C. Lots and lots of really wealthy people who work in D.C. but won't live in D.C. live in Montgomery County. Right? What happens is, um, in recognition of National First Responders Day, one of the guys who works for Montgomery County, together with his, his young son, what they did is they wanted to, to make a gift to Montgomery County and, and to the police and to the firefighters. So what they did is they, they handcrafted a, a flag. And again, if you if you follow me on, on Twitter, I've got a picture of this. This is what's known as the thin blue line flag. You have undoubtedly heard the phrase thin blue line. It, it goes back at least 50 years, probably more than that, the thin blue line representing, of course, recognizing the men and women in law enforcement who are that that line between the criminals and the rest of us. All right. So the thin blue line flag is something that's been that phrase has been around for a while and the flag has been around for a while. So what the dad and the son do is they they take a, a piece of wood and what they do is they create a wooden, on this wood, it's, it's a thin blue line flag. And it's got the different stars, and it's got the stars and stripes. And then in the middle of it, it has a blue line. This is something that is done commonly. It is on display a lot. And they make a gift of this to the local Montgomery County Police Department. The police chief accepts it. There's a ceremony. They're thrilled to have this. The police union says this is absolutely great as well. 
into this debate wades the Montgomery County executive who has been described to me by people who lived in Montgomery County as perhaps one of the most extreme liberals in the country. This is one of these guys who was really, really far left, got elected to the county board, and somehow has now become the county executive. He decides over the weekend that this thin blue line flag slash sign is going to be taken down. He says he's going to prohibit it from being put on display at the 5th District Police Station. Doesn't care what the police officers think. He doesn't care what the chief of police thinks. He says, nope, I'm, I'm demanding that this be taken down. He says he believes that this is is divisive said that, you know, this idea that there is the thin blue line, that might cause some people to be offended because, you know, there's some people out there who, who don't like the police and that they think that the police are unduly militaristic, and so this particular flag display would therefore be offensive to some, so it's got to come down. Interestingly, the Republican governor of Maryland has waded in, and he says he's offended and disgusted that officers are being prohibited from displaying the flag that was made for them. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The county executive says, nope, this flag is divisive. Some people might look at it and interpret this pro-police support as being anti-community. Really? 414-799-1620. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I look at this and I just shake my head. And my initial reaction is if we have really reached a point in twenty nineteen, almost twenty twenty, where where displays and visual displays of the police of support for local police cannot be tolerated because they are going to be interpreted as being divisive or because some in the community may be offended. We are really at a sorry point. 414-799-1620. In other words, I think the county executive out there should be embarrassed about his decision to do this. And the idea that, okay, it's going to be divisive to show your support for the police, give me a break. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Sue in Cedarburg. Hi, Sue. Hi. Um, this guy, where does he get so much power? To- well, he's the county executive. He's 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 Chris Abley. He's Tom Barrett. You know, Barrett's don't the mayor. But to get vote? I mean, don't people vote on this, like the commission of something or other, and get a, an agreement amongst the... I mean, this guy can... If he's got that much power, he's going to make a lot of stupid decisions. Well, that... that is one of them. Well, that's, I mean, thanks to call. I mean, that, that that's kind of the point. But no, this is, I mean, it, it, the county exec, this guy's a county executive, so he's Chris Abley, or I mean, I understand Tom Barrett's the mayor, but it's it's that same sort of thing. And, you know, um, so Tom, this would be the equivalent of Tom Barrett saying to the police chief, no, I'm not going to let you display this. Now, Barrett hasn't done something like that. But I guess the question becomes, is it really at this point where if you want to make a, a gesture of support, which is unquestionably support for the police, because 
because some people are going to be offended by this. Now, again, the phrase thin blue line has been around for for decades and decades. But some people think this is, well, this is this is a response to the Black Lives Matter thing. Well, okay, even if it's a response to Black Lives Matter, it's still a pro-police sort of statement. Why wouldn't you allow that, especially if the police want this? Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. You know, I'm one of those few crazy people out there that thinks that the Black Lives Matter movement and the Back the Badge movement can coexist peacefully because they're both after the same end. They're both after a a just police force Mm -hmm. that diligently enforces the law and protects the citizens of this country. And people seem to think that you can only have one or the other, but that's not true. You can support both. Uh, the, the issue that I take with it personally is why, why do you need this flag and why is the United States flag not good enough that that should be the one that you're, that you're focused on? And I think part of the, the blowback over this is that we still have uh, a large issue of police departments disproportionately targeting people of color and minorities. And until that changes, until people don't feel the need to kneel at the NFL games, until that is somehow remedied or resolved, and it clearly has not been yet, then why would people just be okay with people showing uh, a pro-police support for this or because that? We support the, we, because we support the police. Because yes, I am pro-police. Aren't you pro-police? I am pro police. So you object to people's anti corruption. Okay, so because because there may be some corrupt police officer somewhere, you object to efforts supporting first responders and police? No, not at all. Well, but that's what you're saying. I I reject your premise that because there are some here and there. No, this is a widespread issue. This is a huge issue. And for many Americans that don't have the luxury that I do of being a a middle-aged white male, it's something that puts their lives on the line who, who knows? Almost well, every day when they go out and interact with people okay, that they well, don't I, know. See, Mark, I appreciate. Well, but Mark, I, I appreciate the notion that there there may be issues with trust in the different communities and things like that. I, I get it, and I appreciate. Maybe we have a ways to go. That to me does not mean that, especially on National First Responder Day, that we are not going to acknowledge and honor and say thank you to law enforcement and paramedics and firefighters and people who are out there as part of that thin blue line that are keeping us safe from the predators and the criminals that are out there. Now, if you want to talk about, well, we need to do further more with police reform, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that willing to look at that in the different cases. But that doesn't mean that I am not going to vigorously support the police whenever I get a chance to do it and whenever it's appropriate. And it doesn't mean that if a five-year-old boy and his dad want to donate a thin blue line flag to a particular police department, that I think they should be prohibited from doing that and the police department should be prohibited from displaying it because somebody somewhere may be offended. So very glad to have you with us. It's it's interesting. We are, of course, going to be spending the next several months dealing with the whole question of impeachment 
And at the end of the day, we're not going to get anywhere. If you hate President Trump, you will be unhappy with the fact that he's not going to be convicted in the Republican Senate. If you love President Trump, you will be unhappy that we will be spending the next 60 to 90 days pursuing impeachment through the House of Representatives, knowing that the the result is going to be preordained. If you hate President Trump, you believe that the Trump presidency has been illegitimate. You believe that the president has been an embarrassment, and you cannot believe that he continues to be the president. If, again, you love the president, you you see this all as this, this giant witch hunt. The truth of the matter is that impeachment is a political process, and the American people just aren't there on this right now. I mean, there's a new poll out by Fox News over the weekend. Um, In early October, 51% of people responding said they thought the president should be impeached and removed. Now that number has dropped to 49%. 41% say she should not be impeached. But but again, you you know, you don't have an overwhelming majority of the the country. They're, They're not at impeachment. And the truth of the matter is, they are not going to be at impeachment. If President Trump, at least in my opinion, is to be removed from office, the way it is going to happen is going to be one year from tomorrow. 52 weeks from tomorrow, we have this thing called an election. And voters of this country will go to decide who the next president is going to be. And that's, there. it's a year away. And again, I understand that a lot of people have no belief in polls. To me, especially a year away, who, who knows what they're going to be. But the New York Times has a new survey. This is the New York Times. Now, keep in mind, the New York Times institutionally and through its individual reporters loathes Donald Trump. That That's the best word I could describe it. So I am sure that some heads are exploding with, with this reporting. But they go out and they do this poll. And they do a head-to-head poll of battleground states. Again, keep in mind, we do not elect a president based on popular vote. It's the different states that you win. That's why if President Trump is reelected a year from now, it will be with less than 50 percent of the popular vote because he is extremely unpopular in California. He could lose California by millions of votes. It doesn't matter. You know, you, you can lose California by millions of votes or one. You can lose it by one vote. You know, the person that wins gets the electoral votes. The same with New York. This race 52 weeks from now, is going to be decided in a number of states, many of which are in the Midwest, not all, but many of which are in the Midwest that Donald Trump won before in order to get him to the the magic number of electoral votes that you need. So what the New York Times and Siena College does is they go out and they say, okay, let's let's take a snapshot of where we are. Not overall, not these general polls, but where we are in these key battleground states. So let's let's review this for just a minute, and then we're going to have a broader question. So they go to Wisconsin. Now, no, we had the Marquette poll that came out last week. This is their poll results. In a head-to-head matchup, Trump versus Biden, they have Biden ahead by three points in Wisconsin. It's a year away, but they have Biden ahead by three points. That's within the margin of error. They have Sanders, Bernie Sanders, ahead of Trump by two points. That is within the margin of error. They have him dead even in Wisconsin with Elizabeth Warren. Pennsylvania, a state that Donald Trump won four years ago. Again, they have Biden ahead of Trump a year from the election by three points. 
Not a landslide by any stretch of the imagination. It's within the margin of error. Pennsylvania, Trump versus Sanders, It's um, they have Sanders up by one. That is the margin of error. They have him even with Elizabeth Warren. Michigan, a state that Donald Trump won in 2016 that surprised a lot of people. Head-to-head, him and Biden, they have it even. Sanders up by two. That is within the margin of error. Trump in Michigan beats Elizabeth Warren, according to this poll, by five points, slightly outside the margin of error. Florida, a state that Donald Trump won. Head-to-head, Biden plus two. Um, against Bernie Sanders, they have Trump up by one within the margin of error, and they have Trump up by four over Elizabeth Warren in Florida, right? Arizona, a state that, you know, is key to the Trump reelection strategy. Head-to-head with Biden, Biden up by five. Trump beats Bernie Sanders by one, that's the margin of error. Warren beats Trump by two, that's within the margin of error. And North Carolina, another state that President Trump won in 2016, he beats all three of the Democratic candidates. Trump by, uh, beats Biden by two points, and he beats Sanders and Warren by three. That is the margin of error. I go through this to say, forget the national polls. Forget, you know, including California and states that aren't going to be competitive. If you look at six states that may very well decide this election, the truth of the matter is, among the three leading Democrat candidates matched head-to-head with President Trump, this is a horse race. I mean, it, it's, you know, Joe Biden is, is fading in the Democratic primary, but he's still the candidate that runs the get best against President Trump in these key states. But regardless of how you interpret this, th- th- this is a horse race. You look at these numbers, and, you know, it's, it's six to five pick them as to which way this election goes a year before the election. Now, I understand that there's a lot of people out there who are just obsessed with the whole idea of impeachment, et cetera, et cetera, which, as a practical matter, it's not going to happen. He, may, he might be impeached, but he's not going to be removed from office. And again, if you're going to remove him, it's going to be a year from now when voters go to the polls. I am a big believer, and I've articulated this before, that there's a lot of an it depends, we call them it depends voters, like, it, it's like, okay, who are you going to vote for? Well, it depends. If it's Joe Biden that's the nominee, maybe we'll vote one way. If it's Elizabeth Warren, maybe we'll vote another. I think there's a lot of, and it's it depends voters out there. But I know there's a number of people out there who also cannot believe that the American public would reelect Donald Trump to a second four-year term. And I am here to tell you right now that I, I think if you feel that way, You do not understand where this country is. If you're convinced that he should be removed by impeachment, you don't recognize that there's a lot of people on your side, but there's a lot of people on the other side. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that we are a year away from the next presidential election. Is Donald Trump going to win? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand even by posing that question, number of people who are listening to the show are going, oh, my God, I can't believe that this man on the radio is saying that there's a possibility that he might win. I'm telling you, I'm looking at these numbers, and I understand people discount polls. President Trump actually tends to outperform the poll numbers historically. But you look at these polls, you look at the key states, and I am telling you, I mean, I'm not predicting he's going to win, but I'm telling you if you think 
that there is no chance that Donald Trump can be reelected a year from now, you don't get where the American people are and you don't get the amount of support that he has. I think this is very much of a horse race. And if people are writing the the obituary for Donald Trump politically, I, I think you're, you're you're missing the boat. Can he be reelected? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss in just a moment. Jordan is lining up the calls as we speak. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Before taking calls, let me just give you a sample of some of the, the texts I've gotten. Jeff, President Trump runs away with it, in my opinion, especially if the economy is booming. Jeff, you just said that President Trump tends to outperform polls. That might be your understatement of the day, maybe. Jeff, if you uh, let's see, uh, dot, 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 dot. let's see, um, Jeff. People vote with their pocketbooks. The economy is great. It's been the best three years of 401ks. Unemployment rate is still low. Why would America not reelect? Okay, well, you've got that question there. Um, Jeff, absolutely, he could end up winning. Um, and then, you know, the the other side of this is, let me see, what is the other side exactly? Siding with Russia is okay. Publicly mocking our own war heroes is okay. Generally being an awful person um, in the most, generally having an awful person in the most important position in the entire world is okay. It's not okay, two exclamation points. Oh, all right, well, I understand. There's people who feel strongly that way, but I'm just looking at these poll numbers in the key states, and I'm telling you this is very, very much of a horse race. And for everybody who thinks that Donald Trump is going to walk to reelection, I think that's naive. But everybody out there who will be disappointed when the impeachment slash removal thing fizzles, which it will, in my opinion, um, I think there is a very good chance, like I say, 6-5 pick them, that Donald Trump gets elected a year from tomorrow. Let's start with Dan on the south side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Dan. All right. As an independent, as the independent, and I voted, I did not vote last time because I do not like Clinton or Trump. On this one here, here's what I see. I am saying that if ben, uh, Bernie uh, um, Biden win, uh, runs and he gets the nomination, he will win it. Not by much, but he will win it. If Warren or Sanders runs, Trump wins it. Because nobody, nobody that I see is going to vote neither of those two in. They're going to have their people vote, but because they don't mm-hmm. want... A lot of people don't like something Warren mm-hmm. and Biden are running on. They, well, I mean, Warren and Sanders. On. Yeah, no, th- thanks. No, Warren and Sanders. I mean, well, and that's why you're starting to see this in the polls. Joe Biden, who is fading among Democratic primary voters. And again, I, and let's put aside the argument about whether polls accurately measure stuff. And again, I understand there's snapshots in time. But, you know, Biden is fading among Democratic primary voters. And, you know, you have Elizabeth Warren. I don't know if it's fair to say she's surging, but but she's moving up. But, but again, Democratic primary voters, just like Republican primary voters, tend to be more to the right. Democrat primary voters tend to be more to the left. And Elizabeth Warren is way to the left. And the truth of the matter is her or Bernie Sanders, they're, they're not coming back to the middle. I mean, the typical strategy for Democrats to running for president is you, you run to the left and then you kind of, you know, move, circumnavigate back to the middle. There's no coming back to the middle for Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders. And, and I think you're starting to see that. Joe Biden, a center-left Democrat, 
you know, runs better than, than Donald Trump. And that's the whole concept of the it depends thing. I, I will tell you, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and their desire to sort of like reshape America and get rid of the entire health insurance industry and nationalize, you know, health care essentially with Medicare for all. It scares a lot of people. And, and so, yeah, I think there is an element to that. Um, Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. Absolutely, he's going to win. In fact, he's, uh, I think he's going to win by a bigger margin than he did last time. And I really can't wait. I, uh, I remember the election in 2016. I, I wouldn't say I'd given up, but I'd gone to bed to read, fell asleep. My wife comes in, oh, Trump's starting to leave. So I sat up till two o'clock in the morning, had a couple of bourbons. <laughs> yeah, well, it surprised everybody. Yep. All no my problem. in-laws are liberals. And the one I disagree with the most, but, but really get along with though, she brought me back a bottle of mixed red wine blend from Trump Vineyards and an etched glass from Trump Vineyards. And it's sitting in my wine fridge right now, and that's going to be open in November. <laughs> and I'm going to celebrate his victory. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think it's – what if what if the Democrats go ahead and nominate like, like, like a Joe Biden? Do you, do you think that's a different dynamic than if they nominate an Elizabeth Warren? Well, I, I think Biden I, – I, I think – First of all, there's nobody excited about Biden, and I, and I think, first of all, I don't think he's going to get nominated. And I think Elizabeth Warren and Bernie are just too far left. Like you said, there's a hundred and some million people that have private health insurance. They don't want to give that up. I, I got screwed with Obamacare, and there's a lot of other people that feel the same way. And I, I just, I, right. I, I give. Uh, I give the populace credit for some common sense. We're, we're just not that left. No, I, I, thanks, so. I agree guy. with you. No, thanks to call. I mean, I, I agree with you. And, and that's why for all the vitriol and, and I, I mean, I'm looking past the impeachment thing because, I mean, again, I just I, I don't see I, I I don't see an impeachable offense here, and I understand that makes some people's heads explode when I see it. But, I mean, it, it's actually, I mean, Bill Bennett was, was doing something today, and he's just infuriated a lot of people. He says, hey, when it comes to foreign policy, you know, there's always this degree of quid pro quo. You say to Mexico, I, I want you to get tougher on illegal immigration or I'm going to withhold funds. Well, okay, illegal immigration and stopping the flow, that's a campaign promise. Is that a quid pro quo? Is that an impeachable offense? Now, Donald Trump is far from a perfect president. And I, I would not have done things the way he's done it. But, you know, we're really kind of in, in charted, uncharted territory when it comes to, you know, the political process of impeachment. And that's why I think, you know, if you want to remove Donald Trump, you, you, you show up a year from tomorrow and you end up voting. Here's uh, Jason and Sheboygan who text Jeff. I am an it depends voter. I'm typically a conservative voter and I believe that Trump is far from a perfect president, but it will very de- much demand, depend on who the Democratic nominee is. I firmly believe that anyone other than Hillary could have beaten Trump in 16. As of today, Trump would get my vote. And, and I bring this topic up not to infuriate some of you, but simply to say, you know, as we look at, at this race, if you are convinced, for example, that Donald Trump's going to win in a walk, I, I think that's being incredibly naive. But if you're one of those people who are just absolutely incensed and can't believe that President Trump could be reelected, I'm just looking at these numbers and I'm telling you it, it could very well happen. And a lot depends on, on who the choice of the Democrats is going to be. But if you think anybody can beat Donald Trump, I think you're wrong. Scott in Greendale. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Great topic. So your first caller and that text message that you just read summed it up for me. I am right of center. 
but uh, so I, I definitely my past lean more conservative, but it's strictly I'm tired. I'm I'm tired of both sides at this point. But but voting left for my first time. But if they put Warren or Sanders as a vice president candidate on that ticket, then again, no way, absolutely not. I, I think you're. I think that New York poll is really accurate. Take care. Have a good yeah. Day. No, thanks. I I mean I I I do I do too. It it, it if. And, and here's the thing, and this is why I, I don't know what's going to happen, because the reality of this is if you if you make the race about, gee, do you, do you like Donald Trump as a person or not? Well, OK, that that's one issue. But if you nominate somebody who really wants to reshape American society in a huge fashion, well, then then it doesn't become about Donald Trump. Then the election becomes about, you know, do we really want to reshape America in this fashion? And I I tell you, I mean, I don't think voters in Pennsylvania and voters in Ohio and voters in Florida and voters in North Carolina and voters in Michigan and, dare I say, voters in Wisconsin, I don't think they are at that step as of now. So... It's going to be a fa- it's going to be a bumpy ride. Don't don't get me wrong. And I understand right now nobody can look past the whole impeachment thing. That's that's the story. I mean, it's day after day. Okay, who's testifying in the Ukraine probe, etc. And what are the time limits and all? And and that's all well and good. And it makes great political theater. And it will buttress the people who hate Trump. And it will buttress the people who think that this is all a witch hunt. And those sides will dig in more. At the end of the day, that's not going to happen. At the end of the day, the activity is going to be in the primaries and it's going to be in the election campaign and it's going to be a year from tomorrow and if anybody thinks that they know for sure how that's going to turn out i'm here to tell you i don't think anybody knows anything about that all right when we come back i focus the story again if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 what do donuts and Smokey and the bandit have in common stick around Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, interesting brewers news. Um, the, the brewers, first of all, Chase Anderson, who, you know, it, it, it's, he's you a know, big contributor, um, but kind of up and down. He was due today. The, the Brewers had an option on him, right-handed pitcher, um, eight and four, you know, last year. And uh, he was looked at as being like one of the Brewers stoppers and never really developed into that, but, you know, had a successful career as the Brewers. Today was the Brewers' day if they were going to exercise their option and commit eight and a half million dollars to him today was the day they had to do it by brewers made it he's 31 years old be 32 next season the brewers made the decision to move on and they traded him to toronto so they don't have to pay the money they got back a uh double-A minor league first baseman who doesn't sound like he's ready to play, you know, doesn't sound like he's ready to start in the majors at least yet. Um, clearly, this was a deal where they're, they're dumping salary, and, and, and that's fine. The surprise is that Eric Thames, the left-handed hitting first baseman who's been 
um, at least part of the first base rotation for the last couple of years. Today was the day that the Brewers had an opportunity to exercise his option, and that is to commit $7.5 million to him for next year. And most people thought that the Brewers were going to do it. Well, they surprised a number of folks, and they've, they've declined the option on Eric Thames, which means that he is a free agent and the Brewers are not under an obligation to pay him $7.5 million. So all of a sudden, the Brewers have freed up like $16 million bucks. The problem becomes who plays first base. What 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 are they going to do now? The, the guy they got from Toronto doesn't appear to be major league ready. And you know, if you look at the Brewers roster, there's no there's nobody immediately that jumps out at you. Maybe you shift Ryan Braun to first base. Maybe you take Travis Shaw, who had just one of the worst seasons imaginable last year, and maybe you pencil him in at first base. Um, people who I, who know a lot about this say the first agent, the free agent first baseman market isn't great. Don't know what the Brewers plan it appears to me as an outsider is that they're 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 trying to dump salary in order to go out and try to make a splash on the free agent market so with these two moves today they've saved 16 million dollars so what do you do with that 16 million do you use that to try to you know bring grandal back do you use it to try to bring Mustakis back or put it towards it? That would be my guess is that what they're trying to do. They still probably need to go out and find themselves, you know, a big time pitcher and that's going to cost a bunch of money as well. So my guess is what they're doing, they're doing what they're doing because they want to upgrade. They still think that they have, they're in that window where they have a chance to compete for a World Series and I agree and they're just trying to save salary. But this is a bit of a surprise and it does leave some question marks. But my guess is you're, you're going to hear more from the Brewers. You wouldn't drop these players just for the sake of dropping them. You wouldn't just accumulate the the money and the salary savings unless you intended to spend it somewhere down the line. So I think it's going to be a busy offseason for the Brewers. But now the questions become, okay, what's the pitching staff going to look like? And, you know, who's going to end up playing first base? Stay tuned. All right. What do Donuts and Smokey and the Bandit have in common? Well, you know the answer if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 Here is the deal. And candidly, I think the kids should tell Krispy Kreme to pound sand. All right, here is the deal. Remember, well, if you are of a certain age, you perhaps, you will remember what Coors Beer, Coors Beer, not Coors Light, Coors Beer was not sold east of the Mississippi River. And Coors Beer became, and this I'm talking about in the 70s, Coors Beer became this, this kind of delicacy that people who lived east of the Mississippi River had to have. Coors Beer was the driving force behind that great mid-70s movie with Burt Reynolds called Smokey and the Bandit. Because if you remember the show, that was the bet. Burt Reynolds and his bandit character, they and the truck driver, what they had to do is the mission was, we want you to drive across the Mississippi, pick up a truckload of Coors beer, and then bring it back in however many hours they had. That was the whole premise, because you couldn't get Coors beer east of the Mississippi. I can remember when I was in college. Went to college a little bit west of the Mississippi. Coming back for Christmas, I would fill up the trunk with cases of Coors beer. Now I wouldn't resell it; I would give it to my friends. But that was that was the that was the Christmas gift, Coors beer. Now you go out, you have a Coors beer, and you say, "Really, people drove all over the country for this?" But it was a different time. All right, so here is the deal: they do not sell Krispy Kreme donuts 
in Minnesota. I do not know why, but they don't sell Krispy Kreme. There's no Krispy Kreme donut franchises. They're not licensed. They don't sell them in Minnesota. Jordan, are you a fan of Krispy Kreme donuts? It's been a while since I've had one, but right. I remember when they were big. They're not yeah. really as big now, right. but when they were, yes, all the time. Okay. Well, I mean, they're like they're like pure sugar. And see, the thing about Krispy Kremes that always sort of irritated me was because they they don't believe in spending money on ad- this is what this was their plan. They they did, they don't spend money on advertising like TV or radio advertising, but what they do when they come into the market is they go and they bring like a dozen donuts or two dozen Krispy Kreme donuts over to like radio stations and then they get free advertising because all the on-air people just fawn over them. And I'm thinking, okay, these people are too cheap, you know, to to go buy advertising, but you know that they they get all these radio personalities to to Guppy, oh, these Krispy Kremes are great, and they get all this free advertising. Now, it's brilliant on the one hand, but I, it's, I, I never used to, I've always used to refuse to, oh, you should talk about how they got Krispy Kremes here. I'm not talking about Krispy. If they want to buy advertising time like all the other people do. So in any event, I, but Krispy Kremes, they're like pure sugar, all right? So here is the deal. There's this kid, college kid, college student, 21 years old. His name is Jason Gonzalez. Right. And what he does is he's based out of the Twin Cities, goes to school up there. And so what he does is once a weekend, he drives to Iowa and he goes and he buys a bunch of Krispy Kreme donuts. He buys dozens and dozens of Krispy Kreme donuts. He like fills up his car and he, he goes. He doesn't get any discounts. He goes goes to like a Krispy Kreme donut store and he buys dozens and dozens of these things. And what he does is he then brings them back to Minneapolis and he resells them to, you know, friends or customers or, or whatever. So you can buy a dozen Krispy Kremes for if you buy the original ones, um, I had to just look this up. It's seven ninety nine for a dozen. Those are the ones, just the, the glazed ones that are like pure sugar. Um, eight ninety nine a dozen for the assorted. So they cost like eight or nine bucks a dozen. So he drives to Iowa. He fills up his car with dozen, dozen cartons and cartons of Krispy Kreme donuts. He drives them back to Minneapolis and then he sells them to his customers. And he charges anywhere from seventeen to twenty dollars for a dozen donuts. So. You're saying, well, George, well, it's, well, I mean, you, you can't get them and people want them. And, and he's got costs. I mean, it takes him time to drive to Iowa and you've got the gas and stuff like that. But anyhow, he, he's making money like that. Well, he gets featured um, in, in a story that they ran in the one of the Minneapolis papers, I think the St. Paul Pioneer Press. And it talks about how, you know, he there, there's this demand for Krispy Kreme donuts. Krispy Kreme doesn't sell Krispy Kreme donuts in Minnesota. So this guy goes and he's got his own customer base, all right, and, and he resells them. So they run this story, and, you know, the, the story is spun as what, does, what a great entrepreneur the kid's doing all these things. Well, the folks at Krispy Kreme, and it's a company that's based out of North Carolina, they see the story. And instead of applauding this guy's entrepreneurial spirit or – Maybe thinking that, hey, you know, maybe they should start selling these things in, in Minneapolis again. They did in 2002 and then got out of it. I, I don't know exactly why. But instead of either saying, hey, maybe we should do this or, hey, what a great entrepreneur, what they do is they send him a cease and desist letter saying, we are forbidding you from doing this. Do not or we're coming after you legally. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, kid's not an agent of Krispy Kremes. He buys the stuff. He drives it back to Minnesota. He resells it to customers. Krispy Kreme is telling him, knock it off. What should his response to Krispy Kreme be? My argument would be he should tell him to pound sand. He's not getting discounts. I think what he does with those donuts, once he buys them, is up to him. Just like just like if you buy tickets to the Ryder Cup, you know, through the PGA of America, we don't tell you that you can't go on StubHub and resell them for more. I think Krispy Kreme is out of line. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I am channeling the ghost of Burt Reynolds' bandit in the movie Smokey and the Bandit here. I think the kids should tell Krispy Kreme to pound sand. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. If I were this kid, I would tell Krispy Kreme Donuts to pound sand. Apparently, he's able to put like a 100 dozen, hundred cartons, 12 donuts apiece in his car. He makes the run to Iowa where they sell Krispy Kremes. He drives back to Minneapolis where he sells them, probably at double their cost. He's filling a need. Krispy Kreme is saying, no, we want you to cease and desist. I tell him to pound sand. Lazarus in Milwaukee. Lazarus, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, Krispy Kreme, I, I, I'm sorry, this this guy is not hurting anyone. He's paying just like any other customer. Yeah. Right? Well, his business with Krispy Kreme is done after he leaves. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, you, you can't make the guy do anything. He, you know, his business is done with you. Right, he, and he's buying them retail. I mean, it's not like he's a supplier or distributor for Krispy Kreme. He's just the average guy buying the tickets, just like you or me, if we buy tickets to a Brewers game and then we decide to resell them. If, if there are tickets, if we want to resell them, who are the Brewers to tell us we can't? Who is Krispy Kreme to tell them he can't? Exactly. Like you said, I'll tell Krispy Kreme to go pound sand. <laughs> Thanks for calling. I, 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 would, I, I would as well. The kids found a niche. Now, see, what Krispy Kreme should do is Krispy Kreme should say, okay, maybe this kid is on, this young man is on to something. I say kid, he's in his twice. Maybe he's on to something and maybe there is some demand. You know what Krispy Kreme should have done? They should have gone and made this guy an offer. Hey, w- would you like to be a Krispy Kreme distributor? You know, let, let's, Let's, you know, don't, don't have to worry about driving to Iowa and, and picking this up and then driving back and reselling. Here, why don't we, why don't we sell you? Well, we'll, we'll ship. You know, how many dozen donuts can you take in a given week? Maybe this is a way to get back in the Minneapolis market instead of trying to shut this guy down. Let's talk to Jeff and Franklin. Hi, Jeff. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. What do you think? I think once he purchases the donuts, they're his property. He can do whatever he wants with them. Yeah, I, I guess right. I mean, right. There's, there's nothing. He and he's not. He's not representing himself as a Krispy Kreme salesperson. He tells people. I mean, he's he's very upfront about this. He's on Facebook. Hey, I drive to Iowa. I buy them at this particular you know Krispy Kreme store, and I drive back. I mean, he's not pretending that he represents Krispy Kreme. He's just buying them and bringing them back. It's his property. He can sell whatever he whatever he chooses to. He can't buy a roll of duct tape, and they can't tell you how to use it. Well, yeah, that. Right. I mean, right. Exactly. Thanks for my call. Thanks for the call. As long as long as what he is doing is legitimate. I mean, I don't know what basis Christmas Krispy Kreme has 
to tell him that he can't resell stuff that becomes, you know, his property. Now, maybe if, if Minneapolis authorities, you know, have some regulation about, you know, reselling food items because of concerns about, well, stuff could be contaminated, that's a whole different story. But that's not Krispy Kreme's business. You know, if Krispy Kreme wants to go to authorities in Minneapolis and say, hey, you know, this guy's reselling our product, maybe you have, you know, rules on that, and then the government wants to shut him down, oh, okay, well, that's that's him and the government. But Krispy Kreme itself, to tell him, no, you can't do it, that's bull. Let's talk to Jamie in Milwaukee. Jamie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, yes. I just wanted to comment. I'm a long-time listener, and you do a great job. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. Um, if somebody wants to be an entrepreneur, that's the whole American dream. And maybe they need to reach out and say, hey, you want to open up a franchise or something? You seem to be doing something right yeah. instead of trying to stop somebody. Yeah. That, that, see, that's – I mean, if I was the guy running Krispy Kreme Donuts and I did not have a presence in Minnesota and hadn't for years, and I'm finding this guy, this college kid, is making this money, that's – my call isn't to the lawyers to try to shut him down. My call is to him saying – Hey, maybe we can get together. You sound like exactly, first of all, you love our product. And secondly, you sound like the kind of go-getter that I'd love to have working for me. Wouldn't you do, wouldn't you Correct. make that call? Yeah. 100%. That's my first call. And you yeah. have no right to say anything unless somehow maybe there's damage or something wrong like you just mentioned with it product or donuts being served. Right. Well, but, but again, right. Uh, thanks for call. Again, that's a, I mean, he's not representing himself as an employee of Krispy Kreme or a Krispy Kreme distributor. He says, I drive to Iowa. I pick these up. Give me your orders. I will bring them back. He is a courier. Not unlike, like I say, in the mid-70s, Coors beer was tough to get. Not unlike, you know, a lot of people who would drive across the Mississippi. They'd pick up cartons of Coors beer. They would, you know, cases of Coors beer. They would come back and they they would sell it off to people. Again, in retrospect, you go, gosh, there was that much demand for regular Coors beer. But yeah, there there was. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing today? Hi, Chris. Um, you're totally incorrect on this one. Okay. Um, here's here's why. I mean, they've got the brand to protect. This guy's not paying any licensing fees or marketing fees. He's mm-hmm. not doing anything the right way on it. If they were going to put a, a franchise up there, there's a there's a major investment that goes mm-hmm. along with that to make sure that they get the brand correct and they're not hurting the rest of the people mm-hmm. that do franchise. And the other thing is, you don't know where any of this stuff is coming from or going. You don't know how he's how he's uh, transporting it necessarily, yeah. so you don't know if it's sat in the car too long. You make somebody sick. Yeah, there's but, just too many things that could go but, wrong. But, what, but once he right, but what once he buys them, what right do they have to tell him that you can't resell these items? If if I'm listening to now, now it's not terrestrial radio, but if I'm listening to satellite radio and I'm paying for that and I I audio tape that and I would play it on my radio station. What's to say I paid for that already? How come I can't do that going forward? Well, because that's somebody else owns the rights to that. Same thing with Krispy Kreme. Well, well, same thing with any franchise business. Well, you but, can't go to McDonald's and buy a thousand hamburgers and then go sell them. Well, sure you can. I mean, sure, as long as McDonald's is going to sell you the thousand, sure they can. Sure you can. I mean, well, you know, McDonald's will, McDonald's will shut you down just as fast as anybody else. Every franchise business would do the same thing to protect their brand. Well, you they can decide. You can't just do it. Well, no, I think I guess I disagree. I, they they could say we're not going to sell you these donuts. I I guess, but 
the reason you would do it in a McDonald's situation is because you didn't want the competition or whatever. But in, in Minneapolis, they're not available to people. I guess this notion that you don't think that once I buy it, I don't have the right to do what I want with it. I just I just don't get that. To me, it's again, it's like I'll use the example of buying tickets. I buy the tickets. Once you've sold me the tickets to the Brewers game, the Packers game or whatever, if I want to resell them, I think I have the right to resell them. Um, that's now I guess the Packers could ultimately decide, you know, we don't want you competing with us. And so they could say, we're not going to sell you them, but they're just telling this guy, okay, we're, we're not going to allow you to do it. I think Krispy Kreme is wrong. And I think if they tried to sue him, um, I, I think that they would probably lose. Now he's saying, look, I don't want to fight with Krispy Kreme, so I'm going to back off. And I understand the protect the brand and you don't, you know, want him selling inferior products and stuff, but he's not representing himself as a Krispy Kreme salesperson. He's saying, I drive there. I buy them. I bring them back. And so to me, there's an element of buyer beware that's out there. And I've just violated in the last 20 minutes my own rule of giving Krispy Kreme publicity that they don't pay to advertise for. So, um, But in any event, I think they're just dead wrong on this. I think once you buy stuff, you have the right to do what you want with it. This is Jeff Wagner. <laughs> Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett is so disappointing on occasion. And, and I... And today is one of those days. And I, look, I, I always try to cut Barrett some slack. I mean, let, let's move aside from the, the silly trolley and the waste of money. But because being a mayor of an urban city where you have an out of control crime problem it is, is an issue. And there is this ongoing frustration that you have 19 year old political activists who speed through intersections and hit and kill kids and then drive off and try to cover it up. And, and I understand that there is this frustration about that. And, and so I, I get, how sometimes you, you want to try to deflect blame. And it, look, it, it's it's not the mayor's fault that you have crazy people that drive at 80 miles an hour and drive through intersections and hit and kill kids. Or it, it, it's, it's not his fault. And there's only so much that you can do about it, which is why sometimes some of these disappointing knee-jerk reactions become, well, just, just head-scratching. Okay, over the weekend, you had this horrible story about this 61-year-old guy who I don't think has been charged yet who gets into an altercation on the south side and ends up throwing acid in the face of this other guy. And apparently, as part of the thing, he says, oh, you know, I go, go back to wherever you're from because the guy is originally from Brazil or something, and he throws acid in his face. Horrible, horrible situation. And the, the man who's responsible for this deserves to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And if you want to charge him with a hate crime on top of the violent assault, I, I have no problem with that. I, I, I get it. But it's a horrible thing. But into this wades Tom Barrett, the mayor. And th- th- this is, again, it's this knee-jerk reaction. He's blaming this attack. Some crazy guy, you know, who throws acid on somebody else. Well, Tom Barrett has figured out this is, this is Donald Trump's fault. You don't begin a conversation with a racial slur and end it by throwing acid in someone's face. That's not what happens in a just society. I, I agree with all that. But Barrett said he's concerned that such attitudes are condoned at the highest levels of government. Oh, for goodness sakes. This anger towards people from other countries is being fed by our president and his followers. Okay, so it's not just the president. It's people who are supporting Donald Trump. You are responsible in the mind of the Milwaukee mayor for this crazy guy who attacks somebody else with acid. Here is my question that I would ask the mayor. 
And, and maybe this is the fundamental starting point on this. And we, Mr. Mayor, what do you think about somebody who has acid in his pocket in the first place? I mean, this this guy is walking around Milwaukee carrying acid in the first place which is just like walking around Milwaukee, I would say, carrying a knife or carrying a gun or, or, or whatever. I mean, do you seriously think that he, he was walking around with the acid looking for you know a, a person of, of color or something that he could throw it on? Or was this one of these crazy guys who was walking around carrying acid? To, to me, that's the fundamental starting point, which is what does it say about your city, Mr. Mayor, that you have people that are walking around carrying what would I think arguably be a deadly, potentially a deadly weapon or certainly a destructive weapon, you know, in the first place. I mean, what, what does that say about the safety of the streets of Milwaukee? And, and can you really, maybe is that a starting point rather than the knee-jerk reaction to blame President Trump? Obviously, there is something that was going on here with this character who deserves, obviously, to be behind bars for a long period of time, and I hope that he's prosecuted. And like I say, whether you use a hate crime legislation or not, the, the, the assault in and of itself is a terrible thing, and he should be in prison for probably the rest of his life if he's 61 years old. But perhaps rather than saying, oh, this is Donald Trump, maybe you could focus on the underlying thing, saying, why did he have this asset in the first place? I mean, was was this a guy that went out looking for somebody, uh, again, of, of color that he was going to throw this on, or was this somebody that was carrying this around because he was just looking for an excuse to lash out at something, and this happened to be the first guy that he ended up finding? I mean, maybe that's the more fundamental question, and including how many other people are walking around the streets of the city of Milwaukee carrying acid, getting ready to attack people, regardless of what their colors are. But, you know, but again, it, it's easier to just have this knee-jerk reaction that, oh, this had to be about Donald Trump. Well, all right, clearly the 61-year-old guy is a criminal. He is dangerous, and he's probably semi-sociopathic if anybody would throw this asset. And he deserves to be condemned, et cetera. But, but you know, maybe the mayor needs to concentrate kind of on the big picture of the out-of-control crime in the city of Milwaukee as opposed to trying to find scapegoats. In this case, well... You know, it, it's it's got to be President Trump. Now, is this guy who threw the acid, is it fair to describe him as a racist? Well, probably if he said what they say, he said that, that that's okay. But do you really think it was President Trump that enabled or emboldened him to walk around carrying the acid? Maybe that's what we should kind of concentrate on and worry about trying to make the streets safer as opposed to trying to find scapegoats. Goats, And again, I appreciate and I have supported the mayor in his frustration with the out of control crime rate that's here. It's just this passing the buck and trying to, you know, shift blame that I find to be frustrating in, in the extreme. And this is another one of these examples. Just own the fact that, you know, we've got criminals in the city of Milwaukee and we need to do a better job of getting them off the streets and keeping them off the streets. And once again, I'm going to be curious once they issue charges, whatever those charges may be, to see the criminal record of, of the guy that ended up doing this. But it's it's an indictment to the city that you have people that are apparently boldened enough, emboldened enough that they feel comfortable walking around with acid that they can use to attack anybody, regardless of their race. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, when we come back, the national anthem. <laughs>
Before TV stations were on the air 24-7, and there was a time for that, what would happen would be TV stations would oftentimes sign on in the morning, I don't know, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and then they would sign off at the end of the broadcast day, midnight, 1 o'clock. Did you know that, Jordan? That's before your time. That's before my time, before but I knew time. about that, though. Right, but I mean, and it's and typically, and I remember this as a kid. You know, you're up late enough. They did. There, there were some that were twenty four seven, but most had broadcast days. And typically, what would happen is when they would start their broadcast day in the morning, they would broadcast the national anthem. That's what they'd have: the national anthem, and they'd show the flag, etc. And then when they would end the broadcast day. A lot of stations would end it with the national anthem. That, that's that's how they would do it. Well, okay, nowadays, most stations, if not all stations, they, they operate 24-7. They, they, don't, they don't sign off. So there's no broadcast day formally. But what's And so a lot of them have gone away from playing the national anthem, although we still play the national anthem on Wisconsin's morning news. I mean, we, we're, we're a 24-7 operation, but they still do that, don't they? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rarely up at that point in time in the morning. But when, when they, at some point in time in Wisconsin's morning news, despite the fact that we have the, you know, we're, we're operate 24-7, there is a point in time, I want to say it's around 5.30 or something, where they play the national anthem. And it's just, it's kind of like the way we start the broadcast day here. Well, all right, here here is the deal. There are a number of... TV stations. For example, Gray Television, G-R-A-Y, has 145 stations, mostly in small and mid-size markets. Starting a few months ago, they made it a policy to bring back the national anthem. They play it once a day. They pair it with some form of patriotic uh, imagery, you know, a lot of times flags or whatever. Once they started doing that, a couple other companies, CBS, at its 27 corporate-owned stations, including those in New York and Los Angeles, and Nexstar Media Group, which is one of the largest TV station owners in the country. So just in the last few months, this is a trend, more than 350 TV stations around the country now start their broadcast day with the national anthem. And you might say, okay, Jeff, well, what's, what's the big deal about this? Well, if you read the New York Times, and by the way, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620, I have a link to this story. The New York Times, through their article, has now taken the position that this has become controversial because the national anthem has become controversial. Now, these TV stations say, hey, we're doing this because it brings back a great tradition of television where it's a non-political statement by our company. This is how the story, though, reads. Still, the decision to revive the anthem tradition comes at a time when overt allegiance to the Star-Spangled Banner has become one of the lines that separate blue and red America. The television executives were explicit in saying that playing the national anthem regularly had nothing to do with the Colin Kaepernick kneeling concert. But, and then they quote, you know, somebody saying, if people want to kneel at 4 o'clock in the morning when we play this, it's fine with me, regardless of their intentions. Mark Clegg, an associate professor of musicology at the University of Michigan, said that in in, in an era in which support of the anthem has become a loyalty test, it is difficult to frame its reintroduction to the airwaves as apolitical. It is somewhat provocative 
to bring the anthem to the fore in a new way at a moment of tension in this country. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, over 350 television stations have now become begun starting their, their mornings, their broadcast day. And I understand they're on the air 24-7. They have begun by doing what was a tradition for years and years and years, playing the national anthem. And I could quote you more from the New York Times piece, but you get the idea. There are people out there that think that this is controversial and divisive. All right, what do you think? 414-799-1620, should these TV stations be criticized for playing the national anthem? Is this instead an attempt to, I don't know, subliminally divide this country? After all, President Trump came down against Colin Kaepernick. 414-799-1620, is there anything wrong with playing the national anthem on TV? Is there anything wrong with what we do here at the station, playing the national anthem at the start of Wisconsin's morning news or during the early portions of it? 414-799-1620. My response is, heck no, but I am willing to debate. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is number. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Who would have thought that this would be controversial, yet if you read the New York Times, and I do so you don't have to, that there big piece over the weekend pointing out that in the last several months over 350 tv stations across the country have started beginning their broadcast day with the national anthem that's kind of a throwback to when tv stations used to sign off you know at the end of the day and then pick up again at four in the morning over 350 stations well the piece in the new york times quotes all these people are saying this is incredible this this is incredibly divisive don't you realize that that the national anthem is a a line between red america and blue america and how can anybody believe this is apolitical to which my response is it's the national anthem all right, we've got a number of texts. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, news media needs to stop giving these idiots a voice. We live in the United States of America. There's no reason why this should not be played. Well, that that's it. In this case, it's, I think, the news media maybe trying to even create the, the issue by saying, you know, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to picture sitting around the New York Times, you know, room where they're making the assignments. Oh, we, we found out all these stations are playing the national anthem. Let's turn this into a story. Let's go find some crazy professor at Michigan who's going to say, oh, this is dividing line. I mean, it's a hell of a commentary if you're going to say that in the United States of America, you, you, you can't play the national anthem anthem on a television station because some people may be offended jeff if you don't like the anthem hit mute just like we can hit mute um um, or or not jeff it is amazing that the national anthem is even debated Eh, i think there's a point there um jeff let's take it back as a non-controversial thankful appreciation of our country it's it is that freedom yeah this you know, this is one of those factors. Then another text, Jeff, to be political, this topic is one of the reasons that President Trump will be reelected. Well, th- there is this element that's out there because I think there is th- there's the folks out there that wake up every day, the politically correct and the perpetually offended who are looking to be offended by something. Boy, you know, 
It's, you know, WTMJ plays the national anthem. 350 TV stations play the national anthem. Oh, my gosh, somebody's going to be upset with that. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know if anybody really is, but, you know, we're going to create a controversy because somebody might be offended. Okay, that that's the one attitude, the segment that's out there. And then there's the rest of the real world and the rest of the country who says, you know, it it's the national anthem. And, and if you want to politicize it, that, that's okay. But at the same time, it is the national anthem. And we sing the Star-Spangled Banner before baseball games and before other sporting events and football games. You know, we sing it at various activities, et cetera, et cetera. I was at this Veterans Day event in, in Waukesha, and they had an a cappella group from Carroll College who, who sang the Star-Spangled Banner, and they did a tremendous job. And you know what? No, nobody was offended, and nobody had to have a card in there saying, hey, I'm a Republican, and I agree with this, or I'm a Democrat, and I agree with this. It's just, it's the national anthem. I think this is a wonderful, underlying, wonderful tradition that you have a number of these TV stations that are returning. And candidly, if we really ever get to a point in this country where the vast majority of America is upset that, okay, they're playing the national anthem somewhere, well, then we're in really, really bad shape. And I understand maybe in the bowels of the New York Times and some of the reporters, okay, well, they they don't like it. And maybe you can find some left-wing professors who decide that they don't like it. But in general, in mainstream America, I don't think there's anything wrong with bringing this tradition back. And candidly, um, I have no problem with it. Never had any problem with it. Didn't bother me before. And certainly it doesn't bother me now. All right, let's sneak in one call. Jim on the east side. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, thanks for taking the sure. call. I didn't even know radio or TV stations signed off anymore. I thought they were on 24 hours a day. Well, they don't. Uh, right. They, they don't. Yeah. When I was a kid, uh, you know, they ended the uh, broadcast day with the uh, yeah. national anthem. I was never awake to begin yeah. a broadcast day. But, you know, it should be a non-issue. If, a, if the owner or whatever of a station wants to do it, let's do it. And, uh, you know, let's not get extreme about these things. Either like it or don't like it, but... Why even complain about it? It's ridiculous. Well, right, exactly. I mean, thanks. I mean, you, you talk about looking for something to be offended by, and and yeah, you're right. They, they most TV stations nowadays are 24 seven. They don't sign off, but these various these 350 stations in the last six months have said, you know what? It, I think it's this is a good way to quote unquote begin our broadcast day. So probably they do it, you know, when they're getting ready to go into their local programming before, you know, after they've carried the infomercials in the middle of the night or whatever. I. Is there really anything wrong with this? And I will tell you, I mean, I, I know we get a lot of feedback, all of which, to my knowledge, is positive. The only times, you know, there's criticism about the national anthem is when somebody says, well, I don't like this particular version you're using. Um, okay, everybody gets to have their opinion, but this is the controversy. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, here's another example of, of what should be a variation of one of Wagner's rules of, of life, which is when you're mad, angry, unhappy, etc., stay off social media. Nothing good comes of it. It's sort of like, you know, our rule that says nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. Nothing good happens when you're hacked off 
and you take to Twitter. And this story involves former Green Bay Packer player Jermaine Whitehead, who had some issues when he was with the Packers. That they cut him after he, a couple of years ago, he he slapped a, a New England Patriot player during a game, and I think got a penalty. So they they cut him. The Cleveland Browns picked him up, and he's been a backup cornerback slash safety with the the Cleveland Browns. For those of you who do not follow professional football, the Cleveland Browns have been. One of the the laughing stocks of professional football for years and years. I have a couple friends, Stephanie, Lon. I'm thinking of you, who are Browns fans, and they have put up with just all sorts of crap for year after year after year. You look like you want to say something. They have a fan base down there. Well, they, I mean, they're, they're rabid fans. Actually, you know, the Cleveland Browns fans are rabid fans, but the Browns have. There's no nice way to say this. They've just sucked for year after year after year. I mean, and they've just and and so what's happened is because they've stunk so badly for all these years, they've they've amassed all these like uh, first round draft picks and stuff. So you know, over the last few years, that they, they've they've been had the opportunity to draft a lot of the best college players, and everybody has been saying this is going to be the Browns' year. This is going to be the Browns' year. And you know what's what's happened is that this year people really thought they there were people beforehand who thought that the Cleveland Browns were seriously going to challenge the New England Patriots to win that you know that to to win the AFC. And that that was the talk because they're loaded. You've got Baker Mayfield, who's the number number one draft pick quarterback, and you've got all these weapons. They've got the guy from New York, right? The um, Odell Beckham Jr., right? They've got him, and they've got these first round. I mean, they're just loaded with talent on offense and defense. And this is going to be the Browns' year, and, and that really was. You know, the Browns were scheduled for all these appearances on national TV because everybody thought that this was going to be the year after year after year after year of frustration. This was going to be the year they turned it around. Well, no, the, the Browns are two and six this year, and even though they've got all these these better players, they still suck. And and fans in Cleveland are just apoplectic about this because it's one thing when you go into a year where nobody expects anything, where, where they know you're going to be bad and you're part of a rebuilding process. It's another thing when you go into a year thinking this is going to be our year and we're going to contend for the Super Bowl and, and you're you're two and six. So emotions are, are really, really raw, all right, on, on all parts. So yesterday, Browns go out, they lose to, to Denver, okay, and they, they lose by five points. And, all right, as as happens in the world, anytime you are a semi-public figure, take it from me. This is, by the way, Jordan, this is the 22nd, this is the start of the 22 years full-time on this program for me. The, oh, my congratulations. Program, my program started full-time. Now, I was with WTMJ part-time for a few months before that, but this this Monday, today, um, we've just finished 21 years. This is the, the start of the 22nd year of the Wagner Show, right here on WTMJ. Wow, I was four years old. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Um, <laughs> that That's right. And when I first started, you know, filling in part-time, you were just a, a, a wink in your parents' eye there, but that, that that's okay. So, but in any event, what, one of the things you learn early on when you do this is you are you are going to get people that, that criticize you. There were back in the days when there was voicemail, people would leave these, leave these awful messages because they disagreed. And, and today, you know, people on a text line or email, they, they weighed in and they're, they're, some people are very nice and very respectful even if they don't disagree. And some people, 
art. That's just it's just the kind of the nature of it. But you understand if you're getting paid to do this that there, there's going to be that out there. And so while you might see one of these things and your initial reaction would be to respond in kind, you quickly learn that that you just have to let it roll off your back. That that's just it. Well, the same thing is probably true but with a lot more intensity when you're a National Football League player and when your team is supposed to contend for the Super Bowl and you're 2 and 6 and you're losing badly week after week, fans are going to get frustrated. Announcers are going to get frustrated. And just like Yesterday was a very, very bad day for the Packers, and I'm sure that the announcers could fairly criticize Packer players for not showing up and missing tackles, etc. The same is true for, for the Cleveland Browns. So it's a tough loss, and apparently this Jerome, Jermaine Whitehead got singled out for some particularly bad play, missed tackles, etc., etc. So, you know, he's getting ripped on social media, and some of the Browns announcers are apparently, like, ripping him as well. So he, he goes into the locker room, you know, after the game, and he starts taking to Twitter. Never a good idea. And instead of, you know, I had a law school professor, by the way, Jim Giardi, the late Jim Giardi, who always said, you know, there's going to be all sorts of stuff that in the practice of law that hack you off. Other attorneys are going to do stuff that hack you off. And he said, my, my recommendation is write the letter. Now, this is before we had emails and all these instant responses. He always said, write a letter and just just vent. Just, just write the letter, but don't send it off. Just write it, have it typed up, put it in your desk drawer for a day. Just give it a day. And when you look at it that next day, if you still want to send it, send it. But, you know, I always felt that was really great advice because I would do it. I would sit on it, sleep on it overnight. And then I would come in and I'd say, you know, I just don't want to say these things. I, and and you'd, you'd write another letter, but it'd be toned down a little. Well, of course, today with the Internet culture and all that, the, nobody has a filter. And everybody, you just write what you want to write, and then you hit send, and it's out there forever. So this Jermaine Whitehead, who you know had played a bad game, etc., and was getting criticized, decides to take to social media. Now, if you follow this, and there, there's links to these stories, you can actually see what he says. I cannot read this on on the radio. All right. But what he does is he, you know, first of all, he starts to take on the fans um, and he says, look, I I apologize for my performance. But, you know, they're talking crazy about this. He apparently at some point in time, you know, using obscenities, lots of obscenities, you know, um, insult some of the fans who are criticizing him, et cetera, et cetera. He then goes after one of the Browns commentators who apparently was criticized him, criticizing him for his inability to tackle, at which point in time he challenges the guy to a fight, gives out the address of the Browns headquarters if the guy wants to come over and, and find him. But it's these profanity-laced tirades, you know, going after members of the media and, and going after the fans who are criticizing him. Well, Jermaine Whitehead is a Cleveland Brown no more. They First of all, they issued a statement saying, Jermaine Whitehead's social media posts following today's game were totally unacceptable and highly inappropriate. We immediately spoke with Jermaine upon learning of these comments. The Browns in no way condone that type of language or behavior. The matter will be further addressed internally. 
That was last night. This morning, the Browns interested internally by cutting Jermaine Whitehead. So, I mean, he's, he's gone. But it's, again, it's another one of these examples. And for, for grown-ups out there who are trying to raise kids in this day of social media, or those grown-ups themselves, it's another one of these lessons where you've got to sometime have the imp, an impulse control that exceeds that of a fruit fly. And there's going to be all sorts of stuff that you think is unfair or that makes you mad or whatever. And the bottom line is, well, okay, you know, you're, you, you just got to take it. And, and maybe that sounds unfair and maybe it doesn't seem justified, but you know, Jermaine's getting whitehead is getting paid a whole bunch of money to miss tackles. Okay. He, he doesn't need to lash out at the, at these people. And you've got to realize, well, okay, fans are going to be fans. And you know, it's, it's one thing if you've got people that are out there and they're saying, you know, racist things and they're threatening you. That's one thing, but just criticizing you because you're not playing well or whatever, it, it might be unfair. But it comes with the territory, and you just have to sometimes suck it up. Jermaine Whitehead, unable to do that, and as a result, you know, his football career, my guess is, is probably, you know, over. So another guy that just fails to learn that you got to control yourself in the world of social media. Different time. Maybe you could get away with some of that stuff 30, 40 years ago when it wasn't out there for everybody to see. Maybe you could just turn to your buddies and say, you know, boy, this is what I think of these fans who are criticizing me. But once you take to Twitter, well, bottom line is it's out there forever. And Jermaine Whitehead just found out that nothing good happens to anybody outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. And nothing good happens when you lash out in profane ways towards the fans of a football team. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a link to, um, uh, it's actually, it's a fascinating editorial in today's Wall Street Journal about uh, Elizabeth Warren's fantasy plan for Medicare for, for all and in her estimates as to how you're going to pay for it. You want to talk about something that would be transformative in a really, really bad way of American society. It would be this plan. Um, also, it's amazing. She acknowledges that she's going to do away with the health insurance industry, which probably means like over a million people losing their jobs. And when she's asked about that, her response is, oh, they'll find something else to do. We're going to talk about that extensively, but I, I want to be able to devote a bunch of time to it. So I think we're going to save that for tomorrow's show. This is a mark the tape moment because there's actually an issue where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, AOC, the the uber left-wing socialist congresswoman, part of the squad that's getting all this attention, there's actually an issue that she and I agree on. And it has to do, and it kind of ties in with what we were just talking about with the, the inability of this Cleveland Browns player to restrain himself from responding to attacks on social media. Well, what what happens is, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is actually tomorrow, she's going to be in federal court in Brooklyn, and she's going to be testifying in favor of of something that she feels is extremely important and something that I feel is important as well, and that is the right to block people on Twitter. Now, now here's the thing. It doesn't matter what your politics are. It doesn't matter whether you're a conservative senator like Ron Johnson or a liberal senator like Tammy Baldwin. You hear from all sorts of people. 
And many people, what they do is they take to social media and they'll they'll go to your Twitter account and they will, you know, respond and they'll, they'll tell you how they feel. And there's some people who do this with a sincerity because they want to tell you you're, you're their elected representative and, and they want to explain to you how they feel about an issue. And then there's some people that do it in such a way that, well, quite frankly, it is offensive. Whether it's obscenities, now I'm not talking about rising to the level of death threats or anything like that, but obscenities or rudeness, or you have these trolls that are out there that just send tens or hundreds of of texts or emails in a given day. Well, what a number of politicians on the right and left have been doing is when you get these, these trolls that are out there, they have been blocking them. They've been saying, okay, look, I, I, I don't want to hear from this particular person anymore. And AOC, who has just a ton of Twitter followers on her personal Twitter account, she's banned a, a relative handful of people. And they've now sued her, saying that she is violating their First Amendment right to correspond with their elected official on you know her private Twitter account. And so there, there's court hearings about what the law, this is all part of that lawsuit. We've had this play out in Wisconsin as well. The question being, can a public official be able to block people from contacting them on their private on their private Twitter account. Now so far in Wisconsin the answer has been no you can't. You you have to take the trolls, etc. I think that's wrong. And to the extent you need a change in the law, I think that they should change the law. Here's my reasoning for this. If you're an elected official and you've got the guy or gal that's calling your phone constantly, leaving message after message after message on your answering machine, for example. And, you know, at some point in time, it's just they don't like you. They're mad, whatever. You, you can you can just keep deleting their messages. You don't have to call them back. You don't have to accept a meeting with them if they demand it. You know, and they can be upset about it and they can go and they can use social media to tell everybody, hey, you know, this elected official, he, he's blocked me. He won't allow me to come to meetings. He's afraid to answer my calls, etc. And that's fine. They can go public with that, and then people can decide whether that's a reason to vote out the elected official. But I don't think elected officials, just because they are an elected official, have to automatically put up with some of the trolls that are out there and some of the people who, again, not rising to the level of threats, but send obscenity-laced email or text after text after text or Twitter postings. I think they should have the right to block those if they're on the private Twitter Twitter accounts. Now, like I say, so far in Wisconsin, we're not allowed to do that. Politicians aren't allowed to do it. And, you know, in New York, like I say, there's a question because there's a lawsuit that's out there. But, you know, you know, AOC, she's in this position of saying, look, I, I've blocked a handful of people because, again, I've, I've had some of these who just write the, these vicious sort of texts. I, I'm, I'm done with them. We're never going to see eye to eye, and I want to be able to block them. And I think you should have the right to do it, just like people in you know 
the private world, you know, if you've got somebody that's trolling you or sending you nasty things or whatever, you, you can block them. You have the right to do it. I don't think you give up that right just because you're an elected official. Now, it's different if you're talking about official accounts and the government stuff, but for your private Twitter account, your private Facebook account, your private phone number, I think you should have every right to do it because there is this vicious little undercurrent that's out there who all they do is they exist to try to make the lives of some public officials miserable. And I guess I don't think that they should necessarily be encouraged or emboldened in doing that. So this is one of these mark the tape moments. It doesn't happen very often. But AOC, I think she's right. This is Jeff Wagner. Well, this is an oops moment. The uh, CEO of McDonald's, and, and McDonald's, actually, in the last several years, their, their stock ha- has just taken off. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's doubled in the last couple of years. But McDonald's is faced with a lot of problems, lots of competition that's there, people wanting to eat healthier. McDonald's has these ideas of, hey, let's let's expand the menu. And the, the, a lot of the franchisees are saying, well, well, wait a second. The problem with expanding the menu is that means that it delays, like, time in the drive-through and that turns people off and so the company is saying to franchisees we want you to do this we want you to have more menu offerings we want you to put more money into the self-serve kiosks and stuff and a lot of the franchisees have been kind of pushing back on this and and the ceo throughout all this has been Stephen easterbrook is the guy's name and mcdonald's has been successful but it's a tough time i mean this is a tough it's a tough competitive industry. Well, anyhow, um, he, he's stepping down. It was it revealed over the weekend that apparently the CEO of McDonald's, in violation of company policy, had a um, con- what they describe as a consensual sexual relationship with an employee. Um, and as a result... He, he's gone. The board did this investigation, and apparently it was mutually agreed that he, he should go. He says, I engaged in a recent consensual relationship with an employee which violated our policy. This was a mistake. Given the values of the company, I agree with the board that it is time for me to move on. So I don't know what his executive compensation was, but my guess is a ton of money. And I don't know. He's forfeiting all that because, again, just kind of bad judgment. So what are these Wagner's rules? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. Nothing good happens when you take to social media after losing a football game. And if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, maybe you shouldn't be sleeping with subordinates. Just put those all together, and I, I think you maybe have three rules to go by. This weather forecast, they're talking about how it, it it might be in the teens over the course of the next several days. The teens! Now, I, I understand it's Wisconsin, and I understand we have winters that seem to last forever, but the teens, for goodness sakes, it's it's just the first part of November. All right, I, I have to admit, I don't go to as many first-run movies as, as I used to. For some reason, I just I, I just don't find as much time to go and sit in the theaters. And a matter of fact, I'm, I really have to think about the last 
the last movie I went to, sometimes we'll take my nephew to go see some of the comic book movies like The Avengers and all. But, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by movies. If you're a regular listener to this program, you, you know that. And a lot of the movies I end up watching is, you know, when they come out on the, the streaming services or on some of the pay services or occasionally I'll order the, the DVD in advance, the, right, the DVD in advance and get it. So I, I don't go to movies as much, but I am intrigued when you see the advertisements for the movies that are coming out. I admit that one of the movies that I thought about going to on opening weekend, I actually thought about going to last weekend, but we it just we, our, our weekend was crazy. There wasn't the time for it. Was the, this new Terminator movie that's come out? It's the either the fifth or the sixth movie in the franchise, but it really picks up after the second one. And it has, it kind of like, the ones that came after it, it kind of like forgets about. But it's got Linda Hamilton, who was the star of, you know, the original Terminator movie, brings her back. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. James Cameron, who put together the first Terminator movie when it first came out. He was the producer of this. It's called Terminator Dark Faith. It got a huge, you know, lots of advertising and stuff. And this was supposed to be the movie that was going to reboot the, the Terminator franchise so lots of advertising big budget hollywood movie they rolled it out over the weekend and it 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 pretty much bombed um four thousand north american theaters so this is this is not just a limited release four thousand north american theaters it earned 29 million dollars now you might say 29 million dollars is a lot of money and don't get me wrong, $29 million is a lot of money, but the thing cost $185 million to produce. And they expected that the opening weekend, it would probably do two to three times that amount in box office. So they thought it was going to do a lot more. It substantially underperformed. And what typically happens for most of these kind of big budget action movies is you make all your money in that opening weekend and if you don't open and there are a couple exceptions but as a general rule you, you don't if you don't open strong you, you generally rule you you go downhill from your opening weekend now again there, there's certain exceptions to that but the, I think in this particular case that that 29 million is going to be the the high end for this and you know they're talking about how you know this is just just it's really from a financial perspective trying it's turning out to be this huge flop and it's raising i think some of these larger issues with kind of the entertainment industry people still go out to movies no no question about it but i think one of the things is that people are becoming more selective when they go out to movies and for the longest time the thinking has been if you have a movie that is successful and has done well, all you got to do is bring back part two or bring back part three, or in this case, bring back part five to try to rejuvenate the franchise, and it will be a license to print money. And, and in this particular case, you've got you've got the Terminator concept that's been around forever. People know about this. You've got the stars from the original movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton. You've got the producer from the original movie. You've got this big action budget rollout, and you do less than $30 million on a $185 million project. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I want to switch gears from politics and things like that for just a minute. All right, what, what, what happened? Why did this movie grossly underperform?
And from your perspective, you know, as a moviegoer, why do you think people, why do you think they're not going out to the theaters as much in general? And in particular, why are some of these big franchise, these tentpole m- movies, why why are they, especially ones that aren't, you know, produced by Marvel, what, what's going wrong here? How could Terminator Dark Fate, how could this have gone so badly wrong? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you happen to be one of those people that shelled out money to see it, um, you know, what was was it worth it? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This one, I, Hollywood... The producers were convinced that this was going to be one of the big box office movies of 2019. I guarantee you they are stunned that this is all the business it did. Chuck in Manitowoc. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Chuck. Uh, How are you? Good. What do you think? Okay, it's just because there's no original content anymore. You have a few franchises like the Marvel movies, Star Wars, Star Trek, that will make that kind of money because you have such devoted fans. But people don't want to see original stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tiring when you when your major movies coming out are rehashes of TV shows. You yeah. have the Dukes of Hazard and 21 Jones Street, stuff like that. People are tired of it. Right. So it just, just, right. I mean, even... So even something, even if it's a beloved franchise, and even if you've got some of the original stars, it's just like, okay, we've seen this movie over and over and over and over again. It's going to be some variation of the, the same thing. Terminator comes from the future trying to kill somebody. We've seen it before, exactly. seen it, done it. Yeah. No, I think, I think, I mean, I think there is a, an element to that. And there's always, there, there's always this effect of nostalgia. Gee, I, you know, I mean, I, I like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I want to see where this character is. I really like Linda Hamilton. You know, want to see how she's aged, et cetera, et cetera. But you're right. At the end of the day, after five or six of these movies, it starts to run out of steam. I mean, I thought the same thing about, I mean, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Great example. That original Pirates of the Caribbean with, uh, you know, with, with Johnny Depp. It was a great movie. It was creative, etc. And then what happened is because it made so much money, the Disney, the folks at Disney decided, okay, we, we've got to go back and we've got to turn this into a trilogy. They really didn't intend it to be a trilogy in the beginning. So we've got to, we've got to come up with three more storylines. And the second one wasn't as good as the first, and the third one wasn't as good as the second. And then, okay, well, you know, we've made a bunch of money on this. Maybe we can still milk this. So you have one or two after that. And by the end of the day, it's just they're almost kind of like painful to watch watch and and i think sometimes it's that and i think the fans the movie going public is beginning to catch on to that let's talk to jeff in fox point hi jeff hey jeff i think it's a combination of three issues one is just that it's a huge time investment to go to see movies now and you can easily kill a whole afternoon right and then and then the, the other is that the the or with the, or our early winter and I think a lot of people just kind of wanted to hunker down and stay in and not do much and not venture out to, to do stuff like see movies. Right. And and then the third is that the third, fourth, and fifth Terminator movies were all bad, especially yeah. the fourth and fifth ones. Yeah, right. And so it, it kind of kills – right now, I think you're on to some. It kind of kills the franchise. I mean, I, I think the other – I think the other larger fact that's out there, and I'm getting a number of texts that are making this point, is that, okay, nowadays, it really has to be something special 
to get lots of people. I mean, look, there, there's always good, movies are always going to be great for date nights and things like that. But you know, if you've got a 65 inch television set at home, a good surround system, I mean, it. Well, here's one. I have a with a 50 65 inch 4K TV and a good surround system. It takes something pretty special to justify the difference in cost between red boxing a movie and taking the whole family to the theater, even if it is on a five dollar Tuesday at the Marcus. Well, and that that is kind of the the element that that's kind of out there the the whole idea of all right yet yes if i want to rush out in the first two weeks that that's fine but there's a lot of movies that are on my list i think there's been a lot of interesting movies that have come out that i haven't seen in the theaters but you know what i couldn't get out that first weekend and then i kind of decide okay with 30 days from now 60 days from now 90 days from now it's going to come out on dvd or it's going to be on the live streaming or or whatever i can download it or whatever and i can end up watching it um the quentin tarantino movies like that the the Charles Manson thing from this summer, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've wanted to see that, didn't get around to seeing it. Now I think the DVD is coming out in early November or they'll be streaming it. I'm going to watch it then, and I'm going to watch it for a fraction of what I had to pay. In any event, I would have bet that Terminator was going to be, this new Terminator was going to be a license to print money. Uh, turned out it hasn't been that way. Go figure. Interesting text. Jeff, I think the Internet era has had a huge impact on movie going. People used to have to rely on a review in the newspaper or perhaps on television. Now there are several different websites that give you detailed reviews, not to mention social media where anybody I have ever known can now share their thoughts about a bad movie and save me the expense um, I'm of paying for it to see it. You know, I, I think there is... Just a huge element of that. Now, we, we all get to be reviewers. Last week we talked about, you know, restaurant reviews and whether you still pay attention to restaurant reviews that you, you know, read in the newspaper anymore. And most people's reaction was, well, not really. I mean, it's it's something I consider. But typically I go to Yelp or I talk to my friends. And I think this is the the same thing as well. Do I think – are there always going to be movie theaters? Yeah, of course, because it it's something for people to do, something for people to go out to. It's, it's an event. I mean, it, it's a date night thing and it's great but at the same time there are all these sort of challenges and i i don't know what the movie theaters the future are going to look like i mean when i you just look at the last 15 or 20 years and the amount of money that has been spent by movie theaters in trying to make the experience as pleasant as possible you know it's it's not like the old days where you'd go in and there'd be these kind of uncomfortable chairs i mean now you've got the giant chairs that recline and you've uh, most movie theaters have the bars where you can get a beer if you want to you know or a drink or something an alcoholic drink in addition to just the popcorn and things like that i think the movie theaters have have changed with the times and they've made huge capital investments to do it and and my guess is they'll continue to do so but it's it's a challenging time to be a movie theater operator. All right, something else that's a challenging time. It's a challenging time, here's my segue, to, um, you know, be a public school system. And I, I understand there's all sorts of demands for revenue. You know, where are we going to get money? We want to do this, that, and the other. Then there's always people, myself included a lot of times, saying, well, all right, before you ask the taxpayers for more dough, you really have to convince us that that dough is going to be spent in a wise fashion. And have you have you cut everything that needs to be cut before you ask for more money? Well, MPS um, has apparently, they're, you know, they're going, you know, full speed ahead with a referendum this April 
um, asking the taxpayers of the city whether or not they can exceed revenue cap limits and whether people are willing to, to pay more. Um, the, the latest development, the Journal Sentinel reporting, that they've hired a, a law firm. They're going to pay the law firm $35,000 to help prepare election notices and, and things like that. But apparently they're, they're ready to go ahead with this. The interesting thing is at least thus far, MPS has not decided on how much they are going to ask for, which I find fascinating that it's already November. You've got this referendum that's going to be coming up in early April, and they haven't decided on how much they're going to ask for. Now, let's be honest about what's going on here. They're going to ask for as much as they think possibly think that they can get approved. And so that's what the discussion are is now. It's where is this sweet spot? Um, you know, if we ask for... X million dollars, will they say no? You know, how much can we get without just riling up the electorate? This is the first time in 20 years that there's been a, a referendum question that's going to be put to people, um, and the, the last one just failed spectacularly. The thinking is that in 2020, this is one where, okay, the, the city of Milwaukee taxpayers are going to be more receptive to wanting to contribute more money to MPS. That may or may not be the case because one of the things that's been going on for quite a while now is that, you know, MPS gets a lot of money and they spend a lot of money and there's questionable results. So the issue becomes if you give MPS more money from the taxpayers, how do you guarantee that that's going to result in a better product being turned out? Is the problem with MPS, is it a lack of money? Or is it more fundamental issues that money doesn't address? And on this program, I guarantee you're going to be talking a lot about that over the course of the next several months once they finally settle on the dollar amount of the referendum. People at MPS think this is the right time. The community is ready to say yes. Time will tell. All right, John McCure is on his way back from New York. He was watching his daughter run in the New York Marathon over the weekend. Eric Bilstad is in for John. We'll find out what he has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News in just a couple minutes. Stick around.